And now, here's your host, Alessandra Torresani. What a what a fun moment for me. You're my first author back um, postpartum um, really? interviewing. Oh, wow. Yes. And so this is so wonderful. We have Alexander Hewitt here right now. And I have the book right here. Um, you wrote Shimmer, a memoir. And I love how you explain where the title to the book comes from um, towards the end. It's so beautiful. But I have to tell you, I could not put your book down. I read it in one session in between breastfeeding and like lady was having like a day and we were in her nursery the whole time. So anytime she went down, I was like, oh, oh, let me pick up the book and go through it. It's such an incredible book. You just on a side note for everyone, you came to me um, through a mutual friend, Dave Nadelberg, who everyone knows he's been on the show. Um, He cast me in my first ever TV pilot when I was 15 years old. I couldn't even drive to the audition. Um, And it was so great. And I experienced so many things with him and including the show Mortified that he does um, where people go on stage. It's a live stage show. I went to the first ever one. We were talking about that earlier. They had to sneak me in because I couldn't. We can't remember if it was 18 and older or 21 and older, but regardless, I had to be snuck in. Um, So I feel very special. But um, people go up and they read their old diary entries or stories or stuff that they did when they were a kid where they are mortified. Um, and I got the opportunity a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic hit, to do a stage show and and do a, a recreation of a CSI fan fiction kind of a thing. It was amazing. It was like so naughty. And I was like, how did a seventh grader write this? It was great. Um, but that's how you know Dave, right? Through the mortified right. world. Right. right. Well, I, I'm a producer. I produce the show in DC and Baltimore. Oh um, God, so I amazing. live in Maryland. I live in Baltimore. And so I've been involved in the show. Well, I first started as a storyteller because right. I went, I went to a show and then I thought, well, I've got, di- I mean, I write every day. Right. I've been writing since I was a kid. I'm like, I got I stories for days. <laughs> I got stuff. I've got bad poetry. I've got so much stuff. And so, um, I just started showing up and volunteering and just going to the shows. And then, um, I started working um, as a as a producer. And oh my god! It's it's such it's such a beautiful thing because I used to be a therapist, and I guess this will kind right, of sneak right? into the book. So I was a therapist for twenty years, and I would always encourage people to write in a diary, mm. um, but I wouldn't give them a gold star if they did it or not, no. and it was you know private. Right. But I love, I mean, because I'm just one. I love stories, and I'm so intrigued about people. But I'm also nosy and I lo- like I love getting I, lo- I love knowing why people do things. And so this is like the flip side. It's like, we're, you know, right. ripping up the HIPAA form and sharing all this stuff that you never thought you dare. You know, people totally. lock their diaries. Why would you do that? No, totally. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's funny that you say that because, you know, for for the, being a therapist, having people write, because when I was pregnant and I was going through you know, not being on my medication, the hormones, the ups, the downs, living with the bipolar disorder, all the the nonsense that came with it. I found myself writing every single day um, in whether it would be in my notes on my phone or a notebook, um, just thoughts. None of it ever made sense. And I was like, I almost hope people don't read this because there were some really dark thoughts in there. Um, but it was because I needed to get it out on paper. I think it's so healthy 
to be able to, because they're just thoughts, right? They're not action. So if you get it out and you put it out, it's like, ah, okay, wiping my hands clean and I'm walking away. And like, it's all good, you know? Yeah, totally, totally. And I, um, I mean, that's, that's not the, the right thing this- that I should be saying, but I'm. <laughs> like, no, no, totally. It's it's like, you need to vomit out this stuff that yeah. you, you know, and it, and it clears your head. Like I do morning pages every day. Amazing. And I actually went to a, I don't know if you know Julia Cameron, uh, um, the artist way. Yes, yes. Uh, amazing book that's like 15 years old so I I met her I went to this writing workshop like eight years ago in the Berkshires in Kripalu and it was three days and my kids were little so it was like for me as a young mom to be away you know alone for three days with right without interruption as you know now like right right? that doesn't exist um Yeah. So that really inspired me. And I write every day. And, you know, writing this book was such a way for me to help process grief, you know, because yeah. I had lost, you know, a lot of my, 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 my dad, my mom, and then my aunt. I didn't even write about her, but oh, wow. I, I did a little bit. But, you know, a whole part of my family, um, and I was thrust upon to be you know, caregiver and power of attorney and executrix, which sounds so sexy, but executrix is not a sexy thing. Like, this um, is not cute. <laughs> yeah. And even when things were happening, I was, I was writing little notes. Like at one point, my parents were in the hospital at the same time on the same right. floor. I think that they were in a different room, but they both, their first names both started with L. And so it was so confused. Like, I was like, what if they confuse the medicine with L, Sirac, and the other L, Sir? Anyway, but I was like writing and I was writing things that were funny too, because I was so stressed out and so anxious and so like scared, but like writing and humor was such an important way to, um, to deal with all that. And well, even I as think, a kid, yeah, yeah, just to interrupt really quickly, I want yeah. you to know that I appreciate that you wrote it in humor and you didn't, I, I, at least personally for me, I find it very hard to relate and to understand many books that I read about mental health and mental illness when it's so to the book rigid. This is the story. This is what it is. There's no levity. There's no light. I treat my life and my mental illness of bipolar disorder with levity and light. There is obviously a seriousness to it. We cannot deny that. But I have to make jokes of it. Otherwise, I can't continue on. And so your writing, that's what made it so fun and entertaining to read. Because while this was such a heartbreaking you know, traumatic story of, of, of childhood and adulthood and life and death and grief. There was moments of, of, oh, wow, this is your, you humanized it. You know, I, I, I just, so I want to thank you so much for doing that because it makes it so relatable and so enjoyable to, to, to read it. So please go on. So when you were a kid, I like totally. No, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. No, no. And I do like humor for me. I mean, I just, I, we need that. We need that to survive and to get through things. I mean, I remember sitting, I went to, uh, you know, there's a lot of business with death. Sure. Um, and after my parents passed away, um, you know, I had to go to all these really dull, um, looking, you know, court buildings and like, you have to right. file a death certificate. I remember going with a friend and it was so strange. We're in this, you know, um, municipal building, you know, waiting to do this paperwork. You know, my, my dad had just died. My mom had just died. I'm just exhausted. And there was this really weird, like picture of a clown 
like a 1950s like kind of, and I, they kind of creep me out and Clouds we were just scare like the shit out of me so yeah. oh my god see and i was we were hysteric we were just fucking laughing yes. and i it was just we're sitting here about to do that certificate but we just couldn't stop laughing and um yeah um but and, and as a kid I, what i was gonna say before is as a kid like creativity and writing and um you know i i grew up you know, I had two, there's two sides to my childhood. I guess we haven't, we didn't like delve I know, into the, I would the backstory. Like, yeah, I think, <laughs> should we, you know, talk? Why was your childhood so traumatic? I guess that would be um, like the start to to all of yeah. it. Yeah. You know? And it's funny, I, I'm still in like denial that it was traumatic. I mean, my therapist would say, well, yeah, it was. And I, I you know, I wrote like, you you know what you know, like what you experience is what you experience. I thought so I had a great on- childhood. Yeah. But um, there were things yeah. that were, you know, harsh about yeah my own personal experience of, of living with mental illness. Like you don't, I think that that's something that's very interesting with mental illness. And I've never talked to someone whose mother, for for instance, lived with mental illness, which is what the yeah. story is about, which is about your life. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, your mother lived with, what is the exact di- diagnosis? I don't. She I, had, I, my mother had chronic um, paranoid schizophrenia. And I think that it's really interesting because, you you only know what you know. It's exactly true. And I yeah. I always wonder what it's like for someone because I look to you and I say, okay, while I do not have the same mental illness per se that your mother did, this is something that my daughter will have to live with, right? As someone who 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 lives with mental illness, her mother's going to experience this. The question of Will she ever think, oh, do I live with bipolar disorder? Am I messed up? You always wonder. So I'm kind of like secretly beyond obsessed with having this conversation with you because I feel like I have so many questions on your, from your mother's point of view of what it's like. Yeah. And I, so, you know, my mom before, hmm, so my mother was a, beautiful, radiant woman. Um, she was an immigrant. My, both my parents came from Eastern Europe. My right. mom came from Poland. My dad came from Belarus and they met at this dance in upstate New York. How cute. Um, and they fell in love. And my dad lived in New Jersey and my mom lived in New York in Queens. And he hated driving to New York, but he said to me, like he, he would drive to New York for my mother. Oh. And, um, she was 13 years younger and she was just gorgeous, just beautiful, just a knockout and the sweetest, sweetest woman. And they fell in love, got married. And I didn't find this out till later. Like there's bits and pieces, you know, there's always secrets and especially sure. in my family, this Eastern European family with all sorts of generational trauma and, you know, leaving after the war, World War II. And it's just like so much, but um, apparently the night of their honeymoon, and I wrote about this in the book, my yeah my mom like freaked out and they never made it to their honeymoon. And um, she my dad stayed at t- her parents' house, right? <laughs> well, no, he, he went back, he went to the he parents' went, house yeah. and, and, and they said, we'll take her back. Yeah. And my father said, well, no, I just made a vow. Mm-hmm. And so my mom, you know, I, and see, this is the thing too. Like I, I, I wonder my mom was really sick. Like I look at you as someone, I really admire you. Like, I, mm-hmm. Mental illness is an illness. It's just like sure. if you were to have cancer or yeah. a lung disease or a broken arm, like there's not, there's no shame in it. But, um, for, and especially for my mom in the seventies, oh, the, when the medications time. were yeah. different, the treatment, you know, I wonder if she was alive now, 
maybe her her ability to function would be so much greater. I'm but, sure um, it would be so much higher just with medication, just with, I mean, you think about yeah. not that long ago, they were performing lobotomies on people and like opening brains. Like, I know. You know, you, I know. you have to remember so, and what she, time has changed. Yeah. And she had ECT, but from what I recall, what she said, it just seemed cruel and horrible. And now like there's centers, I know there's a, there's a hospital near me and they have like a whole ECT center mm-hmm. and it's, I don't want to say it's like a spa, but people go in, like they go in as if, and it's right. not a shameful thing. And it's not like a horrific thing. Like you're strapped down and it's right. torture. It's like, this is some, this is a therapy that can help me, you know, right. um, get through life. Um, so my mother's illness though, um, you know, I always wonder like why they had children because, and I don't know like how my mother well, was. How maybe, old was your mom when she had you? How old was my mom when she had me? Let's see. My dad was 40. So she was 27. So not like they're young, not like 18 or something where it was like, right. Which is kind of older for that, that era. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then when I was, so not like they're young, not like 18 or something where it was like, right. Which is kind of older for that, that era. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then when I was, and I, I have like little bits of pieces of memory, you know, like they say your memory isn't really formed until you're five, right? but I have pieces. Oh, I, I don't, I, I don't know if I believe that because honestly, I remember shit when I was really young, right? Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Same here. And so I remember pieces of my mom that were, um, for lack of a better word, normal and just Mm. calm and loving And, um, when I was five, she attempted suicide and I didn't know this. I was just told that she had an accident and she was in the hospital. And so, um, and that kind of started. And that must've been so scary for you too. Yeah. Well, at first I thought she had a baby because I thought that, and I wrote about this too. Like I, I didn't know. My cousin was recently born. And when you're five, like, you don't know, like you're like, what's an accident? (laughs) Why do you go to a hospital? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You go to have a baby or you die. And so she's still alive. So she must, I must be having a brother or sister. (laughs) And, and so that kind of began the revolving door, the recidivism of, um, you know, in and out of hospitals. And it, it was a lot. And my dad took a vow and, and, you know, my home was chaotic. My, her, her disease was really, um, unpredictable. And did you ever hear stories about your grandparents, like on her side or any other family member that might've dealt with mental illness? Like I'll use the example of my dad's, um, my dad is much, much, much older. Um, and so his generation, right. His his parents' generation is older and they used to always laugh that his mom, oh, was such a crazy, you know, crazy lady. And she would like run around with frying pans and beat up her husband if he came home late. And there were, you know, you would hear these things. And now looking back at it, it's like, oh no, she definitely was dealing with illness. Like she had frustration. She had anger. Like I understand what she was going through. But at the time it was like, oh, she was like wild, you know, and just out of control. Ha ha, you know. Did you ever hear anything like that in regards to your mom's side of the family where maybe there was a sign or? I mean, no one, no. And I don't think if there was, anyone would talk about it. Right. You know, that's, that's kind of how it was. You know, my, my mom grew up in Poland and, but here's the thing I heard. It's like, I try to think about like nature versus nurture. Like how did, like what, how did she get sick? Like it's, and I know it's, biological. It's sure. something physical, but I also think about, she was in Poland, you know, during, uh, 
tumultuous time. And I yeah. know my my grandmother, my mom's mother, would tell me that my mother would have these chronic ear infections as a child. Wow. Like they weren't able to get um they weren't able to get medication or doctor. And like it just and I wonder, like, you know, did there's so many brain? things that did add they, up, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, but as far as any other genetic, like, no, no one would talk about it. And isn't it um, true with schizophrenia that it usually comes when you're around, like, 18, like, like a little bit older? Well, it, it can, um, yeah. I don't know there, much so, about it. That's why I, I... Well, and so that's why I, st- I got a master's in psychology, yeah. like, uh, you know, that because I, and I was obsessed with that this is going to be me. Right, right. You know, is this, is this going to be my life? And... Um, you know, I knew I had a 12, I think it's like a 12% chance of right. inheriting. Um, and I, but you hear 1% um, chance and you still think that's high because it's scary. Right. right? You know right. what I mean? I think that um, we always live in fear as children yeah. too. Yeah. So they say that, um, from what I, what I remember with research is that, you know, adolescents, it could, it could manifest, um, older in life, like my mom in her twenties. Um, and then sometimes like near menopause, like, mm. like later on in life. So, um, you know, I remember going to my therapist, just like, okay, you got to let me know. And she's like, you know, you're good. Like you've got, you're yeah. okay. Like you have good coping yeah. skills and yeah. you're like, you're right. You know, and I think right. it's, it's made me because it's a very scary. high. Yeah. It's very high. It made me a very high achiever. Right. And also, um, I, so my mother's is it, with schizophrenia. There's this inability to really have an emotional connection. And, you know, um, there's auditory hallucinations, hearing voices and delusions and so my mom had that, but I think about this, you know, I'm my, I have, I'm a very creative person and I live in this, all the work that I do is in the arts. So, you know, either as an actor, I teach theater, I'm a writer and I kind of feel like I studied Meisner. I know mm-hmm. I'm going all over the place, yeah. but I studied Meisner and it, it's just, it's so raw and open. Yeah. And I feel like every pore in my body, like I, I feel so much, like mm-hmm. I feel everything and I'm very, um, uh, you're super empathetic. You're yeah. Empathetic. Yeah. I mean, definitely an empath. Like I really connect with people and um, I kind of feel like it's sort of the opposite. Mm-hmm. It's like the other spectrum of her disorder. Mm-hmm. I don't know. This is just my rationalizing it. No, that, no, um, no. You know, and I true. crave, and I crave connection. You right. know, you know, like when you're acting, when you're, when you're with a scene partner, you're connecting yep. or when you're telling a story, you know, the audience, like you're with them. And I guess it's my, um, you know, I didn't have it in childhood. And like, so we're all looking for approval and like that connection maybe. But, um, for me that, uh, I I don't know. I, I, her disease was always very, it was a a mystery to me. And I always wished that I could have done more to help her, Mm -hmm, you know, I, mm -hmm. I, but it's that I I couldn't. Um, and and I think that we feel that as a kid, right. You always want to, you know, help out. You, you, you don't know, the the extremeness of a situation, right? Like you have no idea. Right. And did you live right. like so? You say that your mom was five years old when she had a suicide attempt, and I was five not, years old. Oh, sorry, that's what no, I, I was. Five. That's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, that's I what five. I meant. Yeah, 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 My yeah, mind. Yeah. You, yes. Yeah. You were five years old <laughs> when your mom had her her suicide attempt. Was that her first attempt that you knew you of? Know? I, that I knew of, right. that I knew of, right. you know, and I didn't find out about it until that, it, that it was a suicide attempt until like I was, you know, 12 years old, much older in life. Now, so, did your yeah. mom at that point, did you see like a switch in emotions and feelings, how she interacted with you? Or was there a constant, like, there's always love for you. There's always connection for you. There's just this other side. Um, I, I always saw there was love for me, Yeah, but the person that she was, 
kind of disappeared. Mm. And and she was in a constant state state of illness and right. either hospitalized. So she was she was away. She was away you know, a lot of the either, time. Right. She was away either hospitalized or when she was home, she was away. Right. Because she just, you know, she was taking medications like Thorazine and Stelazine. And those medications cause so many side effects. Mm. My mom, you know, gained a lot of weight, her appearance changed. Um she had terrible sleeping habits if she slept at all. And she would, she was kind of nocturnal. She was up a, a lot at night. Um, but, you know, I wasn't able to really connect with her or yeah. talk to her. Right, right. But, you know, I, like she, I knew she, you know, she was never angry at me or right. like she lashing out at me. Right, right, right. She, she did to my dad. I mean, and I saw that a lot. And I, I just, you know, wanted to protect him. But, um, you know, her, re- her sense of reality was distorted. And of I seem course. to understand that as a kid, like I was so mad at this illness. Right. And I that's how you write, you write about that, that you were mad at the illness that you were like, why does this not just stop? You know, and you, you take her out of her misery of, of the pain. Why is this happening yeah. to her? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, that's a lot of pressure for a kid. Yeah. Well, and so I, you know, I, I have anxiety, you know, and I, I, I wrote about that and it's, it's interesting because it wasn't until much later in life after studying psychology, being a therapist for 20 years, seeing therapists where it was pointed out to me that, you know, that I have anxiety. I would describe yeah. things like, <laughs> how did I not know this? But I guess as a kid, like I felt I wasn't allowed to be the sick one right? because right. I had to, you know, I was an only child and I wanted to help my dad. So I became like a little housewife. I cooked and cleaned. And, well, and there's a lot of um, pressure. I'm an only child too. And I know what you mean. It's not even put illness aside, like just in life. I feel like being an only child, there's just pressure, you know, and yeah. it's not forced pressure by parents. It's pressure that you give yourself. And I'm very much like you where I'm an overachiever and I like have yeah. to have things like lined up. Everything has to be set in stone where I know what's happening. Like I, 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 I want to like, and it's scary because I think as a mom and I ask you, like, since you were an only child, you have multiple children. So you don't just have one like I do right now. But yeah. I always wonder like, oh my gosh, am I going to put pressure on her because I'm used to being an overachiever and I'm used to being like this. Like, did you ever felt that, did you ever feel that kind of like, oh gosh, am I, am I, you know, or probably not because well, there was more than one. Uh, my kids, my kids are overachievers and I don't like, know shoot. if it's, you Did know, I do I, that? Um, <laughs> but, but it's, it's in a good way. Like yeah. it, it's a balance. Like, I, like seriously, they, they have it going on and I like all like yeah. academically and socially and, you know, they're kind and, uh, handsome and oh. and fun and like we're we're really we're really close but i think my awareness because my mother wasn't present for me in right. so many ways i took motherhood very seriously yeah yeah and i i i worried like am i doing too much for them sometimes mm. i felt like you know i felt like their experience was like their responsibility was school and to study and to do well and to have like i didn't want them to worry about you know how's is dinner going to be made tonight? Or like, I, no. so I did those You didn't things want those little and, things to be work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But I have to tell you, like, as they're older, like they're so, resp- like both of them, when it was time to get their driver's, driver's permits, 
they like, I didn't have to do it for them. They did it or applying to college. Like they took care of that. And, you know, I went away when I would travel sometimes um, when they were older, um, actually, even, even um, a couple months ago, I went to Mexico on this yoga retreat. And uh, the, I don't know if we'll have time for this, but I did this whole like birthing, rebirthing um, ceremony. What? Oh, I want to hear oh, my about God. that. I will tell you about that. But let me just tell you, like the, the right before the night before I'm about to fly to Mexico for a week and I don't travel too much, you know, when my, when my kids were little and, you know, I'm divorced and I, you know, I, I, I just, you know, I would travel when my, when my ex had the boys, you right, know, I right. wouldn't leave them alone, you know, right. sometimes, but they, you know, they learn responsibility. But anyway, the night before I'm about to get on a plane, my son sprained his ankle and he was eight, he's 18. You know, this is the one who's about to go to, you know, he, he's in college now. Um, but he was going to stay at the house for a week and walk my 80 pound dog yeah. and water the plants and go up the steps. I'm like, he's in a, he's in a cast and it's crutches. So it, nothing was broken. So he ended up staying home and he was texting me, you know, he was getting food delivered. I, you know, I arranged everything for him to do that. And um, he was, he made um, Tennessee hot chicken. He made chicken tikka masala from scratch like this kid. Oh my God. Doing like so responsible. And the house was clean when I came home and, you know, so. Not your typical 18 year old boy. <laughs> yeah. Like really. Um, and he's really into, he plays rugby. That's, that's, that's the, the, the fault of the, that's the ankle sprain. So totally. I'm worried about his brain now. Um, but um, he's so fit and really into health and, you know, he's like, mom, I'm not going to drink because of the sugar and the alcohol. I'm like, oh my God, like this kid. Oh my God, like, what a so, good kid. Yeah, but they're not like, I don't know, weirdos or like, you know what I mean? Like yeah, they yeah, make yeah, me, yeah. they're cool. Like, they're, yeah. so I, did I overprotect them? Yes. Was I kind of hovering? Yeah, probably. Sure. But, but yet they're, they're so but it independent <laughs> and responsible and they know how to do laundry and make dinner and, you know, and they're good kids. Well, I yeah. think that that's what's, super important is that you have great children and it's so nice. And I think that it's so nice on so many levels because not saying that you had a traumatic childhood. We all have, we all have trauma and we all have issues in our childhood, but it's so nice that you didn't let that stop you from having children. I think a lot of people find yeah. that where they're like, oh, I had so much that went on and, and I wouldn't want to do that to my children. So I'm not even going to go through with that, you know, and maybe that's a healthy thing too. I don't know, but I think it's beautiful that you had children and, and that that's what yeah. you wanted. I think that's lovely. Well, and I also worried, um, I, I remember when I was in college, I had a partner, a boyfriend who I was in love with, but his mother had mental illness mm. and he was raised by his grandmother. And um, so the mom wasn't really in the light in his life. I never met him, but I met her, but I was always worried, like, what if we got married and had kids? Like this doubles the chance. Right, right. Of, you know, sure. and so it, it is, it is, it is across my mind, you know, um, but they seem to be high functioning and okay. And, it, you know, doing well. Um, and yeah, I don't know. And maybe because I was a therapist, you know, like when I, when we got divorced, like we went to a therapist, you know, I, they went to a therapist, went to family therapy and right. I just you wanted to be it on out. it, you know, and, and we, and we, and we talked about everything. Like I'm really open with the, with them about things. So I think that that's, um, what's really nice too, yeah. because I think, that's such a great example that you're leading to to make it stigma free, right? Because even though their grandmother did have, you know, mental illness and did live with schizophrenia, 
it doesn't make her not a wonderful person or not that they're going to be, you know, faulted because of it. You know, it's it's normalizing it. Because like you said earlier, it's like cancer, a broken arm. It's, it's, it's just something that's there. You know, something that I all I read in your book that affected me so much was how much, how much and deeply your father just loved your mom. That love was unbelievable. And I think that that doesn't happen anymore. I mean, I, I in very rare cases, but he really just stuck, stood by her side what was that like for you as a kid? Because I know when you you write, you, you're so frustrated and so angry at this illness. Like, why is this affecting my mom? Because it's affecting my dad and my dad seems to be falling apart because of it. What was it like for you seeing your dad like that? Like, what, what do, you, do you think it's because he's not American that he was like so strong and so empowering? Like, what is it about your father that you think kept him going like that? Like, and being so supportive. And especially when you write about the fact when he had a heart, not a heart attack, when his heart, when he was having the chest pains, right? Isn't that what it was? And he went into well, the hospital did, and, and they. Yeah, he did when, yeah, he did, he ended up having a heart attack, but um, yeah, he did have heart. But that moment that issues, you yeah. wrote about when you were like, oh my gosh, he's healthy. He doesn't smoke. He doesn't do all this. Like, why is this happening to him? Like. How how did he keep so strong? Did he ever tell you what it was? Is it, you know, because he is not American? What was it that 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 kept him? Because I just was in I was in awe of just the incredible strength he had for yeah. his wife and his child. Um, as as am I. I mean, um, my father, uh, Leo Lanny Sarak was um, just such a beautiful soul. Like he, um, you know, I think part of it, you know, he experienced trauma as a child. Um, uh, he, my grandfather was shot by the KGB when my dad was three, I think. And that might, that's my dad's first memory. I'd asked him to tell me his first memory. And he says he remembers that sound. And then he was the oldest child. So he had a brother, um, and a sister and, um, I guess, you know, as an oldest child, he right. was responsible, you know, maybe not at three, sure. but you, you know, um, no, but I mean, it, then it gets I, built into you. Yeah. So, and I guess like suffering, like what is suffering? You know, this, my family who came from Belarus, who left Belarus on foot to go to Germany, to this, uh, displaced persons camp for two years. And then they ended up coming to United States. And then my dad was wow. in the Korean army, you know, I mean, in the army during the Korean war. Wow. And so, you know, and then here he falls in love and she has a disease, but this is the disease is something that's incredibly emotional and disrupting and, you know, uh, chaotic, mm-hmm. but, um, here, here's something, uh, what I want to share is that, Later on in life, as um, yeah. my mom, you know, she this is like tw- they were both getting much older and my mother was in a hospital and they when you are um, taken to the ER, mm-hmm. uh, you can't t- say, well, you know, to be admitted for psychiatric um, evaluation and then to a hospital, you can't always choose like, well, I want to go to if you're in New Jersey, carrier clinic or whatever right. you know, facility, you're going to go where there's a bed. Right, right. right. So there was this one occasion where my mother was sent to a hospital that was almost two hours away 
from my, my dad's home and he was heading older and having a hard time driving. And it was kind of closer for me to drive from Baltimore right. all the way to, I uh, was near like Cherry Hill, New Jersey. It was just ridiculous. And so he didn't see her for about two months. And I was the one who was driving. Um, you were the caretaker at that moment. And, yeah. and I had called him, you know, after one visit just to see how he was doing and told him. And I said, you know, you must be, it must be really quiet. I, you must be able to rest now. And it must be in a way, you know, you're having Peaceful. some peace. Right. And he said, I really miss your mother. <gasps> oh. And I kind of lost it. I'm like, you know, um, he, he said to me that, you know, caregiving is um, a privilege, you know, that you yeah. love someone so much that you get to be there for them. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know. It's always difficult. You yeah. know, I'm not making my dad to be a perfect saint, but, you know, he, I, we grew up, I grew up Catholic. So I have like all kinds of guilt and, and I'm kind of a recovering Catholic right now, but my dad would go to church, um, almost every day. Like mm. he prayed. So I, I don't know, but you know, prayer it's almost like a realness. No, but it's almost like a soldier mentality, right? Like this is yeah. your duty. This is like what you signed up to do, you're here to serve and you are going to fulfill that until the time is up. And yeah. that is what what he did. And and it, it proves that even before mental illness, how he was there when, you know, she had the freak out on the night of their wedding, right? And he still, the parents were willing to take her back and, she, and he says, no, I made a vow. You know, I mean, that just shows the commitment and the type of man that he was, that he just absolutely was not going to give up. Were there any yeah. values that you take with you that you learned from your father or from your mother for that matter? Um, value. I mean, just really being there for people yeah. and really having a sense of patience and understanding that everybody's going through something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tend to be a, um, I don't know, uh, I'm very, to- I'm very tolerant of aberrant behavior, which is maybe not always a good thing, you know, <laughs> That's like, <okay>. um, putting <laughs> up with things and just, you know, understanding that we're all human and we all are so messed up yeah. sometimes and yeah. life is so difficult. And I don't know, I'm just saying a lot of cliches, I feel, but no, um, no, but I mean, it's, it's, know, they- it's true. I mean, we're all fucked up and we all have to forgive each other. It's like, the thing when you're honking at someone and you're like, well, maybe they have a really shitty day and that's why they're being an asshole. Right. You know what I mean? Like right. you just have and, to and, think that's what it is, you know? And I, I try not to, like, I believe that like, like this is it. Like we've got this one shot and yeah. you know, don't waste your time on stupid shit. And even when I was a therapist, I remember sitting with people that would complain about things that, you know, I'm like, you're, you're paying this much money for 50 for this. Really? Yeah. Um, you know, what is really a problem? And I don't know. I don't want to, but so my dad, there was this sense of, you know, just to keep going. My dad just really taught me to just like, keep going, keep busy. You know, my dad was a writer. My dad was a poet. Wow. So Um, it's so beautiful that you're honoring him by, by doing this novel. Yeah. And there's, I mean, I did share um, some of his words in here. And so my dad wrote poetry. And so he had uh, like 50, well, he had a book of poetry that he had published and they were all in Belarusian, all in his native language. And they were published um, just in Belarusian, no translation. And when he was alive, I asked him, could you translate? And he said, no. I asked my uncle, he said, no. And it wasn't until after he died that I asked a friend of his who recommended a 
translator in St. Petersburg, Florida, not Russia, so much warmer and, and yeah. <laughs> and, um, and he helped me um, translate the poetry. And actually I found when wow. I was cleaning out my parents' house after they died, I found more poems. So I found like these, you know, um, so we have 55 total poems that I translate. We've had. Wow. 55. And, yeah. And so I want to publish the, like I want to yeah. publish these with the translations. And that was a project that I was working on right before the pandemic. And I wanted to go to Belarus. I was going to go in 2020 to Belarus. Oh. And, like, all that just stopped. That's okay. You'll still be able to. I hope. Yeah, I hope so. One day. Um, and so, yeah, that's something that I want to do, even if I self-publish it and uh, just to get his words out there. Yeah. And um, so he, he and the language is sort of a dying language because they want you to speak Russian, um, just like in Ukraine. They right. want you, people to speak Russian and not Ukrainian. Right. And um, but he writes his love for his country is love for my mother. Um, it's just really beautiful. Yeah. So art was something that my dad taught me, you know, to write and, um, you know, to use those things that, that, that help you heal, like to do those. Sure. You can complain or you can go forward, you know? Absolutely. You know, since you are a therapist and that's kind of your, your, you know, your specialty, well, Speaking, I'm not a therapist anymore. Well, no, no not I don't anymore. see patients anymore. Yeah, but yeah I mean, it used to be. But, yeah. but in your heart, like, I mean, in your yeah, like mindset, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you know, the, trained, the, yeah. you're trained. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. For someone who lives with a, with a parent who has mental illness, um, whether it be schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, just depression, wh- whatever it may be, from a professional and now also a personal point of view, like, what is something that you would recommend to someone who's living, living with a parent who, who's living with an illness, you know, both professionally yeah. and personally, because you have this, you know, wonderful story that, that you've yeah. lived through this life. Well, you know, it's interesting because I know you're um, an advocate for, for NAMI, yeah. um, the National Alliance uh, on yeah. Mental Illness. And so I, I actually do some, some work with them and they're like, I'm doing some book readings this coming up this month and they're going to, I'm going to have a representative from NAMI be there to talk about their services and so, um, National Alliance uh, on Mental Illness, everyone check it out. It's incredible. Yes. And and they have, they have family support groups and that's something that I would, and it's a yeah national organization and it's free and confidential and not just support groups, but they also offer other, um, you know, like if you need respite care Mm -hmm. or, or, you know, whatever information that you need on caregiving, uh, for your loved one or for yourself too. So, um, just to make you, to make people aware that they're not alone. Cause as a child, I really felt alone and ashamed in a way. I wasn't ashamed of my mother. Again, it was just sort of this thing that wasn't talked about. My dad never talked about it. And my dad never went to therapy. My God, I wish he he had yeah. a therapist. Um, of course. But yeah, so NAMI is definitely 100% a place to um, to connect, to get some help, and to just to talk about things and to help normalize it, and also just a place to um, be able to get some connection and, and um, to not feel alone. What um, was something that yeah. you, you know, now looking at it, do you feel that as a young adult, I wouldn't even say a child, a young adult or, you know, someone in your 20s, do you think that it's appropriate for a family member like a child to talk to someone who, you know, a parent who lives with mental illness 
and kind of help guide them because I know that, you know, I'll speak for myself. It's like the older generation of of my parents and and grandparents and so forth, you know, can be very stubborn of like, no, there's nothing wrong or I don't need help or, you know, it's fine. You know, that's something that I think is lacking of how can we communicate with different generations? I even know like the younger generation sometimes like, I'm like, oh my God, you guys know so much. Like, it's crazy. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's overwhelming. What is something that you would recommend or how can I, how could we talk to an older, you know, family member about getting help or even maybe even not even older? It could be a sibling or something that someone that is just like, nope, this is how it's supposed to be. I'm not going to, I'm not weak. Yeah. Because I think that's right. A lot of the older generation, especially, you know, foreign, you know, who have immigrated over, it's like, that's a sign of weakness. So how can we, you know, start that conversation? Yeah. Yeah, People are, you know, some people are resistant to, to, to therapy. And, you know, I think, um, going to therapy is bravery, you know, and that, that's, that's something that I would, um, try to instill is that it's brave. Right. Um, and I would use an analogy of like the broken arm. You know, if you broke your arm and you had cartilage sticking out and your yeah. arm's bleeding, like you wouldn't be like, oh, I'm fine. No, no, right. I'm totally right. fine. Like, no, you'd go to the friggin' hospital. So, um, you know, it's the same thing. It's, it's, it's brave to be aware of, you know, what's happening. And if something doesn't feel right, you know, there are professionals who are there to help. And it's not shameful and it's no. confidential. And I, you know, the thing too is like, I, I, things are so confidential. Like, I think that some, somehow takes away the, that even makes it more shameful sometimes. Do you right. know what I mean? That right. might be a strange statement, but you know, if the, when more people talk about it, like, you know, your podcast, for example, like you're, you're talking about these issues that should not be something that are, you know, shameful or afraid to talk about. Right. Um, so, uh, encouraging people that it's brave to ask for help Mm. and that you're not the only one, you know, right. There's so many people because I think people are afraid like, well, yeah, it's just me. I'm like, no, it's, it's pretty much everybody. (laughs) Or at least if you don't, if you know, we're all dealing with something and you know, like for me, I was, I was like, I have, I have anxiety and I had an eating disorder when I was younger and I really feel like, you know, going to therapy for me just really helped save me and help realize that this is something that can, I can find, I can, I can work on techniques. There are coping skills or things that I can physically do, you know, writing about them or whatever, whatever that is, there are ways that you can, you know, get through that. No, I totally agree. Yeah. So what I want to do, I want, I, I, you, you offered, so I'm taking you up on that offer of reading a, a bit of the book. Um, for for everyone, but, you know, tell us what, or tell me, what was the reason behind this book? You know, why did you feel it was so important to share this story? Because I know why I think it was important for you to share the story, you know, and I'm so happy you did share the story. Um, but what was it that made you really go, you know what, I'm going to write this. Maybe this could help someone maybe this is my own therapy and it's helping myself. Like what was, what was the, the, the goal behind the book? Um, well, I, right after my parents died, um, my dad died in 2017 and my mom died like six months later. Um, I started an MFA program, um, in creative writing and publishing arts. So I've always been a writer. Um, but I, 
never felt I could call myself a writer because mm. I didn't have that degree. And so, you know, being in that program, when I was told like, well, you probably shouldn't write about all this grief, like right after it's happened, like give it right. some time, but like I just needed to. And yeah. so, you know, the, the MFA program was a way to jumpstart that, that process. And yeah. um, I, I really felt that, you know, the things I'm writing about aren't necessarily, this, these are heavy topics, you know, sure. my mom's suicide attempt, her mental illness, you know, my parents' death, sure. um, anxiety and eating disorders. But yet there's, I wanted to write it in a way that gave some hope and light. Um, and, and I, you know, the title Shimmer, there's a lot of light throughout the book um, in various ways. And I wanted people to, I wanted like little kid me to know that things are going to be okay. Yeah. And so uh, little girl me um, made it like I, I, adult me made it. Um, oh, but when so I was a little sweet. girl, I didn't, I didn't know if I was going to make it or, or like yeah. how, how to get through this. I was always worried. Another thing too, I was always worried. What happens if my mother, if my dad dies before my mom mm-hmm. and I knew that was going to happen because he was so much older and you know, how to care for your parents when, when they're dying, how to deal with that. You know, there are things in here that everyone has to deal with death. Right. It's, it's universal. It's not a, you know, it's not unique to me. Um, well, and, and someday, so grief- you know, uh, you know, my grandmother, she passed away from a stroke and had to go away. Um, she had a one stroke and then a second, but the first one, you know, she was in a home and that was something that was so new for all of us in the family, right? Because it's like, how do you deal with this? Like, you know, what are the steps, you know, is is this miserable? There's all these thoughts going on. And I think that that's so great that you talk about all of that in the book. Yeah. Because grief is something that I don't think is talked about enough either. And we all experience grief. Everyone on this entire planet experiences grief whether it be an animal, whether it be a family member, whether it be a friend, whether it be a stranger or a celebrity, like you literally, we all grieve in one way or another. And right. I think we and, all, we we need to learn how to grieve properly and, and yeah. know that we're not alone in it. Well, exactly. And, and I think a lot of people have said to me, they've connected with the book in that you know, maybe their mother or their family didn't have the exact same, you know, diagnosis or issues that might, sure, yeah. but they had a disconnect or they did, you know, they're dealing with grief or, right. you know, what, whatever that is within themselves. You know, I write a lot about my anxiety and, and, and eating disorders and like body image. I mean, that's a whole, there's a whole chapter on that. I was yeah. a dancer and I had one, one dance teacher tell me that my thighs were big and that like, like spun you out. This, this, like, what do you mean? I'm big, you know, and I was a tiny, tiny little person. And, um, yeah, so I just, uh, but words matter. Again, to help That's what that, that is. Words, to me. words matter. hundred percent. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I have to tell you yeah. when, when I read that, that chapter, I remember saying to myself, okay, I have to be so conscious and so aware of the things that I say to my daughter in regards to Oh, if that looks, that outfit looks good, right? You know, and how I speak to myself in front of her, you know, where I don't say, oh, I I look really fat today or, oh my God, my, my butt is too big today or my boobs are sloppy. You know what I mean? Like whatever it may be, I need to be very aware of the things that I say about myself in front of her so she doesn't get that in her head. 
you know? Yeah, absolutely. But, but what woman loves their body or what person loves their body? Do you know what yeah, I mean? Of I course. really, I don't know anyone. Tough. <clears throat> I don't and know. And how to instill that to be like, love yourself for who you are, you know, yeah. lo- lo- warts know. and all, you know? Yeah. Um, but literally, I mean, it's a, it's a conversation that when I, it was a thought that like immediately jumped into my head where I was like, wow, how one person says one thing about legs and doesn't even mean it to mean, you know, you're fat and you can completely spin out and, and how scary that is to see a child spin out like that. Uh, It's terrifying. Um, yeah. Well, would you like to read a part? I, w- I will. Book? I will. Um, I can, I have, I have a choice. I could either, there's a section on grief um, after my dad died um, or after my mom died, what I did with her ashes. I don't know. Um, I, I, I love that ashes one, but I think let's do the grief since we were just talking about grief. So that my dad died of heart disease is kind of a little preface. And this is from, um, this is from which chapter is this? this is from the Leo way. So this is a chapter about my dad. Um, Takosubu cardiomyopathy, which gets its name from a Japanese octopus trading pot, is the condition in which extreme sorrow literally breaks the heart. Cardiac muscles deteriorate and break down when exposed to grief, fear, and extreme stress, and morph into a form resembling the takosubu. Though my father walked five miles a day, didn't smoke, ate healthy food, and was very active, he had a heart attack at age 60. 30 years later, after 51 years of marriage, he died of heart failure. I would like to have seen the shape of his heart. I finally opened the right side desk drawer and discovered all his detailed instructions. No flowers, no open casket, dark suit and black shoes, and buy a cheap casket. He had left a plan for the funeral and even wrote his own obituary. I made all the necessary calls and functioned well in busy mode. It was a better place to be than grief mode. Here's a fun fact about grief. There are no fun facts about grief. Grief hit me like the final knockout blow by a heavyweight champion going down for the title. Grief is heavy. Grief is collapsing on my kitchen floor, retching from crying so hard. Grief is dehydration without enough water on this planet to replenish my tears. Grief is waking up at 3 a.m. with a pillow soaked from sobbing. My therapist calls it morning hours, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Fuck you, insomnia. Fuck you. Grief is hot. It's a hot, sharp pain in my throat, preventing me from swallowing. Grief sneaks up when I least expect it. It's a tsunami and a volcanic eruption. It's uncontrollable. When I think I'm beginning to feel normal again, it pulls me under like quicksand. Grief makes me feel like I'm in a slow-motion video and I don't have a remote. Grief is not wanting to burden others with my pain and sadness. It's painting a sunny picture that everything is okay. It's not okay. I'm still not okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, no, it's, it's, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful um, and so heartbreaking. And anyone who has gone through grief, which is, Pretty much everyone. And if you haven't yeah. yet, thank God. You will. Um, yeah. You will. <laughs> yeah. It's a matter of time. Um, it's just, it's so honest. And that's what I love about your book is it's so honest. You can just, I, I just, reading it, 
I could tell your personality. I could hear your voice in my ears. Like there was everything about it. I just, I was like, oh, I I know, I know who Alexander is. Like this is, (laughs) it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I really thank Thank you you. so much for, for sharing this with, with all of, all of the emotional support community. I think that it's really great. And for NAMI and all of that. And so I have to ask you my final question that I ask everyone. Um, and I'm so curious what yours is going to be. Um, but Alexander, what is your emotional support? Um, for me, it's creativity. Um, it is immersing myself love in, in either theater or writing or um, even trying new things that I, I've never done before, like painting. Yeah. or it, like It's just creativity for me. It's, <sighs> it, that's, that's what saved me as a child. Um, and, and, and teaching others. You know, I teach theater. Um, I teach theater to veterans um, at this amazing wow. program at a Shakespeare company that I that I that I teach for. How fabulous! In Baltimore, yeah. And so, I mean, even through Mortified, like in, encouraging people to share their their most icky, kind of uncomfortable stories, but yeah. yet it's so freeing and it, it really connects us as humans. So, this idea of creativity and connection is what um, is is what is my emotional support, hundred uh-huh. percent. Yeah. Oh, I and to spread it to others too. Yeah. Yes. I, I am yeah. such a firm believer in this. And I love that you said creativity. I love that you're teaching Shakespeare and theater to the veterans. Like, yeah. fuck yes. That's amazing and incredible. So, it's like, so transformative. Yeah. It's, it's I can only imagine. I can only imagine. What is the company called so people can find that? Oh, um, it's Chesapeake Shakespeare uh, Company. And they're in Baltimore, Maryland. We have the most beautiful um, theater. It's like the globe of Baltimore. That was oh, this wow. bank that they remodeled. Yeah. It's just gorgeous. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. how can everybody find you and how can they find the book? Yeah. So um, my website is Alexandra uh, Hewitt.com um, and Hewitt is H-E-W-E-T-T. And um, my book's available through my website. And then also it's on Amazon, um, but just the ebook. So if you want the actual okay. cover and the actual book book, I like to hold books. I don't know, and but I know some people. It's so beautiful. Thank you. I designed, I designed the cover too. Um, so the cover is the, is a the layer wedding of, dress, right? Well, and underneath is my mother's wedding dress. I don't know if you can see, there's a little bit of white. Um, oh. So I kind of played oh, yes. around with that. So there's like her wedding dress layered with this material that I'm making. And I already have part of it made. I worked with a yeah. designer and- um, so I kind of have a, a wedding dress that I've kind of already worn and I, it's cause I, yeah, it looks very mermaidy and, um, it's definitely not white. It's, it's shimmery. Cause and that's you're a mermaid. I want my life to be. Yeah. I love I that. Mermaid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh I love God. that. Thank you so much for coming on Emotional Thank you. Support. Oh my God. Thank you so much. You're amazing. Yeah.